Good morning, church family. Welcome to our 845 service here today at Desert Hills Baptist Church. I, I, you're confusing me this morning. Some of you that normally sit on this side of the building or on this side of the building or on the other side of the building. And so a little bit of a confusion here today, but it's good to have everybody here on this beautiful Arizona Sunday morning. We get sunshine we get sunshine, we get sunshine, and we got a little clouds, amen? So uh, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, uh, I apologize for being away last week. Dominic did a great job. I had the stomach flu, uh, first time in five or six years that I had the stomach flu, and I was just out and didn't think I'd want to share that blessing with you. So uh, Dominic actually took my message and actually preached it. And in fact, Dominic and Amanda have some good news this morning. Uh, yesterday at three o'clock or so in the afternoon, uh, little Thatcher Victor Calmetta was born and uh, six pounds and 11 ounces and 32 inches long. Does that sound right? 19 inches long, 19 inches long, he was born. So let's can congratulate the Calmettas. And uh, he is a good looking little guy and we're excited to meet him. So make sure you be in prayer for them as Amanda recovers. And uh, Dominic uh, is uh, there aiding her and helping her along the way. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we have examined two reasons why people deconstruct. Remember, deconstructing is dissecting and rejecting the beliefs that you once held dear, sometimes to, to get stronger in them, but most of the time to totally reject them and forsake them. And the reason why this series is so important between 18 and 22 years of age, between 66 and 67% of young people will leave Christianity for at least a year, some to never return. And so every one of us have grandchildren, every one of us have children, every one of us knows somebody that maybe struggles along the way with issues of faith. Now, last week we talked about people deconstructing because they have ethereal faith versus experiential faith. In other words, they know things about God versus they have experienced God at work in their life beginning at salvation and continuing to see that work even in the seemingly mundane circumstances of life. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at another reason why people deconstruct from the faith, and that is because they have a hard time reconciling the goodness of God with pain and suffering and loss. Now, if you've not had an opportunity to listen to either message or even the introduction message, I would advise you to listen this week, and it'll help you along your journey of faith and potentially give you some perspective on how to help others as well. Now, this week, we'll look at another reason why people deconstruct, and that is because they see inconsistencies in the lives of believers, pastors, Christian leaders, Christian moms and dads, Christian family members, and Christian friends. Now, sometimes these inconsistencies are downright criminal, people harming children. And by the way, we are a mandatory reporting organization. It's not my job to investigate anything. It's my job to report. And if something ever were to happen, I would report. And, and it's, that's just the way it is. And I used to tell our youth workers, I probably shouldn't say this. Is this the service that's recorded? 
Okay, I won't say it. <laughs> well, I, will, I used to tell our youth workers or our, our children's workers, I'd say, listen, this is what we believe. This is how you respond and deal with children and young people. And listen, if something bad ever happens in this way to a young person, you better hope to God that the police get here before I do. That's how strongly I feel about that. Sometimes they're downright criminal in that way, harming children, sometimes embezzlement or something like that. And other times they appear to be situations where people are inconsistent as a result of their own personal struggle, struggles. In fact, their, their talk doesn't match their walk. Now, sometimes these inconsistencies are with the truth itself and the version of Christianity that people are deconstructing from isn't the version of, version of Christianity that we see in the Bible. Now, in these environs, personal preference and personal convictions have elevated to a place of Christian doctrine and even to the level of the gospel. Now, if this is you this morning, may I recommend giving biblical Christianity a try? Because what people's version of Christianity is, isn't always what we see in the Bible. Now, you see, biblical Christianity isn't simply a list of do's and don'ts. Biblical Christianity isn't trying to make God love you more. Let me say this. There's nothing you can do that can ever cause God to love you anymore, and there's nothing you can do that can ever cause God to love you any less. His love is unconditional. It comes without strings. He loves because it's his character. In fact, the Bible says in 1 John, God is love. And as a result, he loves you and me. You see, biblical Christianity is like a deep well that has God as its source. Biblical Christianity isn't wrapped up in appearances and labels. And biblical Christianity invites dialogue rather than avoiding it. It deals with the intellectual wrangling that naturally comes when we try to wrap our minds around an infinite triune God whose existence and work in the world will not always be understood and is beyond us. Now, many who deconstruct their faith believe Christianity is a religion for intellectual peons in which everything is explainable and all tensions must be resolved out of fear they'll discredit the whole thing. Or it's a religion that no one can sincerely ever live out. Now, if that's your experience with Christianity, I'm sorry. I really am. I understand why you might want to leave that behind. But that's not true biblical Christianity. It's simply another mutation of the truth, a perversion of what we find in the scriptures, and an attempt to domesticate God and buttonhole him into our paradigms and comforts. You see, true Christianity always challenges our paradigms and assaults our comforts. In fact, Jesus did that many times during his earthly ministry. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, uh, just after he has fed the, the thousands with loaves and fishes, uh, these crowds are amassed around him, and then he gives them a hard sermon. He tells them how he's the bread of life, that if you eat thereof, you'll never hunger again, and he's the water of life, that if you drink thereof, you'll never thirst again. And many that heard that message 
It didn't fit into their comfortable paradigm. They couldn't wrap their minds around what Jesus was saying. And the Bible says from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve, you know, Peter and John, the Baragines, the sons of thunder, Matthew, all those guys. He looked unto them and he said, will you also go away? You see, Christianity is rewarding, but it's also very costly. Biblical Christianity has the humility to understand that no one will ever understand everything. And biblical Christianity, while not perfect, is sincere and will humbly admit fault when it's required for it to do so. Now, here in our text, this is one of the more difficult texts in all the Word of God, the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 1. Here in our text, Paul is writing to the churches of Galatia. A detrimental problem had come to light in these churches. Those who were saved and previously involved in Judaism were trying to get those who were previously Gentiles and now Christians to adopt their culture and the customs of Judaism in order to have their approved stamp on the Gentilic Christianity. And those who were Gentiles and wanting to be saved were told that in order to become a Christian, they must first become a Jew. These legalists were themselves inconsistent with their practice of Judaism and elevated the customs of Judaism to the level of salvation doctrine. So like this epistle because people were becoming disillusioned from the truth. Now, how does this happen? How are people disillusioned from the truth? Well, we have looked at this in reference to not having perspective and pain and suffering and loss. And we've looked at this in reference to having ethereal faith versus experiential faith. But here we understand the problem was unique. People had formed Christianity in their own image with their own truth. And let me say this, anything that we do or say that leads people away from the truth of the gospel, the truth of the word of God, and the premacy of Christ frustrates the gospel of the grace of God. In fact, Paul illustrates this in chapters 3 and 4 of the book of Galatians and explains this in chapters 1 and 2, ending with this clear understanding in verse 21. Here's what he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, the Ten Commandments and everything associated with it, then Christ is dead in vain. In other words, anything that leads people away from the truth of the gospel frustrates the gospel of grace. And if we could somehow do something or anything to appease God and atone for our sins, Jesus' death was in vain. Again, the question is asked, how are people disillusioned from the truth? It's easier than you think to lead people away from the truth. Now, in our text, Paul mentions that he was surprised how easily people were moved away from the truth of the gospel. He quantifies this by stating that the people that were easily moved were believers. He describes them as called or saved. Notice what he says, Galatians 1.6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there are some that trouble you and would pervert 
the gospel of Christ. Now, some people are led away from the truth because their biblical understanding is lacking. They have never heard or learned what they need to know, whether it's because of an unwillingness uh, to study themselves or not knowing where to start or always finding themselves in churches that are lacking in preaching and teaching biblical truth. Or for some, they have never truly been regenerated, saved, made alive by the Spirit of God through the gospel of God. It's easily to un- easy to understand how people could easily be led away from the truth. Sometimes... Believers are led astray by focusing on men, movements, churches, traditions, and not on Jesus and his truth. Now, Paul here mentions that if he or any man or even if a messenger or an angel were to communicate a gospel, a message of good news not based upon the word of God, that that person should be cursed. Notice what he says, but though we or an angel, a messenger from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so now I say again, if any man preaches any other gospel unto you than that you have you received, let him be accursed. Now regarding this question, how can they be moved away from the truth which they originally understood, heard, and received? to a truth that was illegitimate. How could that happen? Now, the language at the beginning of verse 8 suggests that the Galatians' focus was on a man, an angel, a messenger from heaven, the personality, maybe even the charisma or authoritativeness of the one giving the message. And when the focus turns to men or movements, denominations or associations, a church itself, traditions, and not on Jesus, people can easily be led away from the truth. You ever heard of Jim Jones? You ever heard of David Koresh? That's how it happens. Thirdly, how are people disillusioned from the truth? People don't understand that they're ultimately accountable to Jesus. Now, Paul makes it clear that he would not preach any other message than the gospel because he understood he himself was accountable to Jesus. Verse 10, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Now, the statement makes it clear. And Barnabas were moved away from the simple truth of the gospel because they were trying to please certain people in the congregations of Galatia and others from Jerusalem. Now, Paul himself understood his accountability to Jesus for his message, and every preacher and teacher of the Bible needs to understand the same. James chapter 3 and verse 1 always weighs heavy on my heart. James writes this. He says, My brethren, be not many masters or teachers or rabbis, knowing that you shall receive the greater condemnation. Now, anybody that teaches or preaches the word of God, they're going to be held account. People are going to weigh their words. People are going to fact check their words. People are going to Google their words. I understand that, and even more so now, but the fact of the matter is, Jesus said, we're going to give an account, everybody, and and who gives more words than preachers? We're going to give an account of every idle word in the day of judgment. As a preacher, I understand I'm accountable to God. Preachers and teachers of the truth are accountable to God for their message, 
But believers are also accountable for what they believe and think. So let me say this, the onus isn't solely upon me. It's not solely upon me. It's also on you. Here's what Paul writes to Timothy in the pastoral epistle of 2 Timothy. He says, of, the things, of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. Don't argue about things that don't really matter. But then we need to understand what does matter. But to the subverting of the hearers, and then he says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, let me say this. I, I understand that when you come here, it's going to be different than some of the places that you've been. I understand you're going to have to listen a little harder. I am not going to be as funny as, as some people because sometimes uh, you read the Bible and as much as you try to illustrate it and, and communicate it, it's not always funny. <laughs> but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to, as faithfully as I can, preach and teach this book. And if I work hard to faithfully preach and teach this book, you're going to learn something. And then, because you learn something, it's going to do something. And because it does something, it's going to change something in you and your family. And we need to understand we have a responsibility in this ourselves. How are people disillusioned from the truth? Because even good men can make mistakes focusing on personal preferences personal convictions, and the influence of others. Paul, in our text, gives a personal illustration about a confrontation with two of the most prominent Christian leaders at the time. They were good men. Not only that, they were great men. Men like Barnabas, who reached out to Paul and mentored him early on in his ministry. Men like Peter, the stone the one who opened the door of the gospel to Jews in Acts chapter 2 when he preached at the Feast of Pentecost and 3,000 people were saved, uh, the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8 uh, when he gave his stamp of approval there and to the house of Cornelius giving the gospel to the Gentiles and opening that door in Acts chapter 10. But notice what the Bible says in chapter 2 in verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. It was his fault, Paul says. Paul pointed his bony preacher finger at Peter and got in his face because Peter was focusing on Jewish traditions as opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice what it says in chapter 2 and verse 12. It says, before that, before certain came from James, Peter did eat with Gentiles, but when those that were come from James, they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision, fearing them that had previously been Jews. And other Jews dissembled themselves likewise. In other words, people followed Peter's lead, insomuch that Barnabas was also carried away with this dissimulation. Now, how did this self-imposed separation from Peter make the Gentiles feel? 
Did Peter ever consider that? Did Peter consider that others would follow his sanctimonious lead and as he alienated the Gentiles? Notice what it says in verse 14, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, imagine having your name written in the Bible for all time, for all peoples, as a way of correction. <laughs> I called Peter out in front of everybody and said, if thou being a Jew livest after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? You see, these good men made mistakes. They focused on their religious preferences, their personal convictions, and the influence of former Jews from Jerusalem. Now, if you've been saved for any length of time, you've probably done the same thing, even if you don't know it. Whether your focus has been too much on your personal conviction in politics, or your personal convictions towards your children's schooling, or your personal preferences on what you wear, or what you listen to while you're driving your car, or what you prefer in church, None of those things rise to the level of the truth of the gospel and should never frustrate the gospel. The focus needs to be on the gospel. And the gospel should create humility and commonality. You see, those who became believers from Judaism and those who were previously Gentiles were part of the same body. And the former Jews shouldn't have tried to force the former Gentiles to adopt their customs, their traditions, and the preferences. Uh, they had more in common than they realized and should have been humbled instead of elevated in pride. But we do the same thing. We look down on people because they don't act like us, they don't look like us, they don't behave like us, even though... They may be Christians. Now, I know heaven will be inhabited by people from many various Christian backgrounds and labels. And everybody in every church that preaches the gospel, you know what, I'm going to be glad for. Do you know there are going to be Lutherans in heaven? I know that may shock some of you. <laughs> Now, I'm not talking about Lutherans that believe you wash away sin by the baptismal waters, but I'm talking about Lutherans that believe that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. There are going to be Catholics in heaven. Now, I'm not saying if they believe what the Catholic Church teaches, but if they have faith alone in Christ alone, they're going to be in heaven. I, I, they're going to be Presbyterian. And you know what we're going to be? And you're going to look at that neighbor like you, and you're probably going to be neighbor. <laughs> but here's what, to this idea, he, Tina Philippians 1, he said, For in truth Christ preached, I will rejoice and will continue. You see, even good men can make mistakes focusing on preferences, personal conviction, and the influence of others. So Paul makes it clear that no one could ever be saved by keeping the law. He says in verse 16, knowing 
that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Jesus Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified or made righteous in the sight of God. You see, the gospel frees us from ourselves and it frees us from man's tradition. Uh, it doesn't bind us to new ones. And there were those in the churches of Galatia that were trying to add Jewish law to the uh, Jewish law and traditions to the gospel. And Paul wanted to make it clear that the gospel frees us from such things. Now, everything we read in chapter three and four of Galatians attests to this fact. And then Paul summarizes this in chapter five in verse one, when he writes these words, Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Because here's the tendency of every one of us. God wants us to live in grace and under the law of his spirit, but we as human beings simply think we always have to do things. And so we try to add things to our Christianity somehow to appease God. We, we add how we look. We add how we dress. We add how we talk. And, and so for, for some people, Christians uh, don't know how to relate to the average unsaved guy. And they speak in Christianese, and, and the average unbeliever looks at him like, huh? What did he just say? But we add all these things, and before long, we're so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. Here, yes, Barnabas and Peter were good men. Yes, they focused on their preferences, their convictions, and were even influenced by others. These men could have led people away from the truth, and it's possible for us to do the same. And when we elevate anything extra-biblical to the place of biblical doctrine, we can confuse and even discourage others. I remember when I first started going to First Baptist of Bridgeport in Bridgeport, Michigan, I had gotten saved at another church uh, a year before, and, and I had gotten out of church after about uh, six months going to church pretty consistently, and <clears throat> ended up getting out of church for about six months, and I ended up at First Baptist Church of Bridgeport, and I was going, I was attending, and I wasn't concerned about what I was wearing and how I looked, and, and then finally one day I found some dress clothes, and I, I think I had a pair of dress pants and a dress shirt, and I even found a tie. Thank God I don't have to wear ties, amen? I wore, found a tie, and everybody gave me their stamp. Hey, brother, you finally arrived. You finally made it. Patting me on the back, you look good. Wow, you, you have finally made it, was the signal that I got as a young Christian believer. So then I was conditioned that in order for me to be approved, I had to meet somebody else's standard. I had to look a certain way. And there were multiple things like that that took place. And they didn't even happen. I don't even know if they happened consciously. I don't even know if people were trying to do that and project that. But that's what we all always end up doing. For some, it's performance-based Christianity. 
thinking we somehow have to garner God's approval and love. For others, it's checking boxes. I don't drinketh, and I don't cusseth, and I don't smoketh, and I don't cheweth, and I don't run with those that doeth. So how do we reconcile the fact that we've been let down by others, believers, Christian leaders, or been misdirected in the truth of which they speak? How do we handle this? How do we handle the inconsistencies in Christians and their presentation with the truth? First of all, remember your own inconsistencies. Remember your own inconsistencies. Now, I'm not invalidating any pain. I'm not invalidating any trauma or the letdown maybe you've experienced by Christians and Christian leaders. I'm not excusing what others have done. I'm not excusing sin. I'm not excusing inconsistencies. And let me just say this. If I have personally failed you, I'm sorry for hurting your feelings or causing you pain. Sometimes people, I don't realize I failed them because I didn't shake their hand on a Sunday. I didn't walk by them and shake their hand. And literally people hold things like that against me. Now, I might not even know or think or even be aware of those types of things. And let me just say this. If I haven't failed you yet, I will. <laughs> but rest assured, you will to me as well. Because that's how it goes. We're human beings and we are sinners and we fail. Now, the most popular verse in the Bible for years used to be John 3.16. Remember seeing it at football games? People would just hold up the address, John 3.16. In fact, it prodded me to desire what to, to know what John 3.16 was all about. And I remember when I was in school in the third or fourth grade, they were handing out Bibles in school at the time, little Gideon Bibles. And, and I got a Gideon Bible that uh, in the front of it used to have John 3.16 and hundreds of languages. And I finally was able to discover what it said for God. So love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I didn't understand it. I didn't totally comprehend it, but I did know something God loved me. But now, the most popular verse has moved away from John 3.16 to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1, where the Bible says, judge not that you be not judged. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? Well, I'm a dad, and you know what? Any boy that comes in my home that likes my daughter, I am going to judge. Amen? I'm going to judge. I don't say a whole lot, so me, me just being there makes him uncomfortable. Amen? <laughs> What's your dad thinking? Is he like me? Does he not like me? Uh, he doesn't say anything. Well, well, he just doesn't say anything, okay? <laughs> judge not that you be not judged. Now, Matthew 7 and verse 1 is not a prohibition against all judgment. We see later in the same chapter, Jesus, Jesus instructing to judge good and bad fruit, uh, judging who are sheep and who are wolves. And then the text goes on to say, 
For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged, and with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. Now, I'm not saying uh, this to excuse any inconsistencies of any Christian or any Christian leader, but the fact remains we need to take the stick out of our own eye first. Before we can cast blame on others, we need to relook in the mirror and remember that we ourselves are inconsistent. Secondly, how do we reconcile these things? Remember, the Bible is our authority. Not man, including this preacher, not denominations, not religious traditions, the Bible. The Bible. And you know what? The Bible has kind of a narrow-minded outlook. You know how narrow? It's that narrow right there. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Now, if I ever say something that's not congruent with the Bible, with this book, you believe the Bible, don't believe me. And the same goes for any Christian teacher and any Christian preacher. If you ever hear somebody say something that's not in here, you believe this, don't believe them. Now, here's what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy. He says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. He's writing to Timothy, and that from a child, you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. It's the only way any man can be saved, through faith in Jesus Christ. And then it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is literally God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, uh, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The Bible is all we need. Now, sometimes what has disillusioned people from the faith is not even found in the Bible at all. And remember, believe the Bible because the Bible is your authority. Thirdly, separate what is essential doctrine from traditions, preferences, and personal con convictions. Now, essential doctrines are things like the virgin birth. Jesus was born in a vir of a virgin, uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, etc. Jesus is God, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, salvation in Christ alone, by faith alone. The church is, is God's tool to advance his mission and grow his people, Ephesians chapter 4. That's essential doctrine. Now, traditions are things like having church on Sunday. Now, I know historically they gathered on the first day of the week, but you know what? It wouldn't be wrong if we had church on a Saturday evening. It wouldn't be wrong if we had church on a Monday night. That's a tradition. Uh, a pulpit, a pastor preaching behind a pulpit. I know you see a pastor get up and he sits by a table and you think, where's the pulpit? Those are traditions. Some people have a tradition, you grew up in a tradition where the Lord's table was taken every Sunday. 
We don't do it every Sunday. We do it five times a year. When people ask us, why do you do it five times a year? Because the Bible doesn't tell us how many times to do it. It says, as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. And one of the reasons why we don't do it every week is because it loses its significance. It loses its speciality. It loses its meaning if you do it every week for a lot of people. Those are traditions. And then we have preferences. People preferring traditional music versus contemporary music. Hymns versus modern day worship songs. Those are preferences. I guarantee you, you're not gonna find them here. Those are things that we prefer. Things like uh, preferences, things like pastors dressing up versus pastors dressing casually. Now, I don't usually dress very casually. Some For some, this is very casual for you. For me, this is kind of right in the middle for some. Personal convictions are things like what you believe about politics. Politics. What we believe about schooling. What we believe about media. And then there's a bunch of gray area in between. Here's what Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, but you have re renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, let's not quibble about things that don't really matter. Let's understand what does matter. And let's all understand that every man's conscience will be guided in different ways. And then lastly, separate the faults of Christians and their message with the message itself. Separate the faults of Christians and their message with the message itself. Now, again, I'm not excusing the faults of Christians and Christian leaders, but you can't throw out the message of the gospel and the message of the Bible because followers of Jesus are inconsistent. In other words, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Now, even Jesus had his followers that were inconsistent. Remember a guy by the name of Peter? Here's what takes place at the Last Supper, Matthew chapter 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus saith unto them, All you shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. And Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet never will I be offended. Jesus, I'm always going to stick by you. I'll never leave your side. And here's what Jesus said. Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he did. He bailed on Jesus when Jesus seemingly needed him most. And you know what? We all have had the tendency to do the same thing. And while we'll never be perfect, we must strive for sincerity, not living in the flesh. In fact, this is what Paul says about this in Philippians chapter 1. He writes to them and he says, This I pray you that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment 
that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, the, the phrase without offense does not mean to be without fault. It means striving to not be full of fault. And then the word sincere means without wax. Now, in the Bible times, uh, uh, the trades uh, that they had in the days were different from the trades that we have today. We don't have a lot of a, a need for things like clay pots, but in the Bible times, everybody had clay pots and everybody had clay uh, dinnerware and so on. And so uh, you'd go to the market and you'd go sometimes to buy a clay pot. And what would happen is the guy that would sell the clay pot would take some wax because the pot was cracked and you don't want a pot that's cracked to hold water in. And the, the guy that owned the, the pot would put some wax over the crack and then they would put paint over it. And the word sincere or sincera means literally without wax, without cracks. In other words, striving to be crackless. That didn't come out right. <laughs> and then it says being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Now, as you're on your faith journey, remember that we'll all have a tendency to develop our own truth. Let's remember, while it's okay to have some personal beliefs and ideas, we're all going to have them. Let's let the truth of the Bible and the Bible view of Christianity be our ultimate truth. Let's not focus on man. Let's focus on Jesus Christ. Let's remember our own tendency to fail and humbly ask God to consistently allow us to be filled with the Spirit and guided by His truth. And let me say this. If you're not saved this morning, the greatest decision you could ever make today is to receive Jesus as the payment of your sins and the Lord of your life. Now, I talk to people that have deconstructed, are in the process of deconstructing, and uh, are somewhere in between all of those. And you know what? I think the three main reasons that we've talked about so far in this series sum up the reasons why people have a tendency to leave the faith. But sometimes they're leaving a faith that doesn't exist here. And let me encourage you, if that's you, experience the real Jesus.